0: Hello, ACAC Church family and guests. If you're anything like me, and I suspect you are, you're growing weary of pandemic talk. If I never again hear about the coronavirus, it will be too soon. So this weekend, we are ending our brief focus on pandemic-navigating topics like hope, discouragement, and so on, and we're resuming our previous study of the Bible's opening book, the book of Genesis. Because Genesis explains God's heart, why things are the way they are, and why they'll one day be just as God promised. It sets the foundations for a biblical worldview. And those who embrace a biblical worldview can handle any life challenges they encounter. And here's why. Those who understand Genesis can rest in God's truth, while those who don't are left to wrestle with things that appear to contradict God's truth, appear to contradict God's truth. Things like life's numerous injustices, stubborn sorrows, and continuing challenges, things we have encountered just in the past week. As noted earlier in our study, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And some of those beginnings are good, and some of them are a far cry from good. Our ancestors' rebellion, Adam and Eve's sin, clearly falls into that not good category. It was a spiritual earthquake, if you will, and it unleashed a tsunami of other negative, disastrous beginnings. And we're going to study two of those beginnings today. We're going to study the beginning of false Religion and false spiritualities, and the beginning of murder. And the fact that the second quickly followed on the heels of the first is rather telling. Our text will be Genesis 4. It chronicles the beginning of the first family. Eve gave birth to her firstborn, Cain. And she said, quote, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord, end quote. Another son, Abel, followed. Cain grew crops. Abel was a herdsman. Eventually, Cain brought an offering, an expressing of worship to the Lord. And it was comprised of his crops. It was comprised of fruit. His brother Abel, in contrast, sacrificed the best of his herd animals. God approved of Abel's sacrifice and accepted it. But he did not approve of Cain's sacrifice and he did not accept it. And that left Cain in an obvious funk and anger. And that's where our text this week begins. It's Genesis 4, verses 6 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. I've entitled this weekend's teaching... When rebellion acts like faith. Please, wherever you are, join your hearts with mine in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as always, I gladly admit I could never preach and teach your word in my own intelligence, out of my own experience, out of my own abilities. It's a divine assignment that requires a divine empowerment. And none of us can understand your word apart from the work of the Spirit. So Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us now. Enable me to speak truth and reflect your heart. Enable us to understand that truth and apply it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And wherever you are today... As we listen for God's voice together, may the Lord be with you. If you want to break up an otherwise pleasant dinner gathering with unbelievers present, just bring up the topic of Jesus as the only way to eternal life. That'll do the trick every time. Because while those who don't follow Jesus routinely accept exclusivity in many arenas of their life, they tend to despise it in spiritual matters, and they tend to despise it in the gospel. They see the gospel's statements like, no other name under heaven, whereby we must be saved. Statements like, no one comes to the Father except through me, they tend to see those declarations as indicative of ignorance and narrow-minded bigotry. And those are the nice words they use. Are such accusations accurate? Are other religions simply alternative but equally valid approaches to finding God? Or are Jesus followers correct when they declare that other religions are deadly deceptions and disappointing counterfeits? Well, Genesis 4 provides the foundation of the biblical answer. It testifies that alternative faiths do not represent alternative pursuits of God. They represent the pursuits of alternatives to God, even when they employ his name, even when they act like faith. Let's look at the story. God promised Adam and Eve that a future Messiah would break the bondage that had been set in motion by their sin. In symbolic language, God revealed that that coming Messiah would suffer physically. Then he showed Adam and Eve that the forgiveness of their sin would not be cheap and it would not be easy. It would require a sacrificial death. Not because, as some suggest, God is bloodthirsty. His is the most merciful and gracious heart in the universe. And the blood that would be required, well, that would be the blood of God himself in Christ Jesus. No, in ways we cannot understand, sin has such an impact in the spirit realm that nothing less than the loss of a life would be necessary for humanity's restoration. So, God revealed to them there would be coming a Messiah and he would suffer. And then, he demonstrated that their sin would need a sacrifice. He sacrificed an animal on their behalf and he covered their nakedness with that animal's hide. It was a symbol of the coming sacrifice of the Messiah. And we can know that God then instructed Adam and Eve to follow suit, to worship in faith by making symbolic animal sacrifices as he directed. Now, if you're thinking, I don't remember reading that in Scripture, it's because Scripture doesn't say that directly. But there is ample evidence of it. Both in Genesis and in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Adam named his wife Eve, which meant the mother of all the living. Even though God had earlier said sin would lead to death. So Adam, referring to all the living to come, indicated he had put his faith in God's promise. And forgiveness and salvation come through the exercise of faith. Then, when Cain was born, Eve's words, I've gotten a man-child with the Lord's help, can also be appropriately translated, I've gotten a man, the Lord. It's possible Eve believed her firstborn son was the promised Messiah, because remember, God didn't give them a timeline. But the key evidence is found in the New Testament book of Hebrews. It tells us that Abel practiced animal sacrifice by faith. It tells us that in the same chapter that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Adam had obviously instructed Abel, in God's words, in what God desired. And Hebrews also tells us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And that would seem to indicate there had been clear previous instruction. So did God's response to Cain. He said to Cain, if you do right, And you can't do right if nobody has told you what is right. So all of that to say, Cain was not ignorant or innocent. He was rebellious. For secondary reasons, note that, secondary reasons that Scripture doesn't enumerate, Cain found the idea of animal sacrifice unacceptable. Now, we can speculate as to why, but we would be speculating about secondary causes. And here's why I say that. The primary reason for Cain's stubborn refusal is revealed in God's warning. What did God say to Cain when he was in his funk? He said, sin is at the door, and it wants to control you and master you. Sin, conscious rebellion, not a desire for God, not a sincere but mistaken devotion, not a humble pursuit of truth, not a different perspective or a different personality, not enlightenment, not cultural influences, and certainly not virtuous tolerance no sin was the driving force for Cain's refusal and for his alternate worship and sacrifice and notice the, do, the the excuse me the desire of sin was to master him not enlighten him not liberate him not advance his authenticity and not enable his salvation. No, its desire was to master him, to control him. So Cain sought an alternative worship because he was in rebellion, and he was in rebellion because he had been deceived. The master deceiver of this universe was seeking to make Cain his slave. And Cain was cooperating by following his demonically influenced thoughts and feelings rather than God's clearly articulated word. In light of that, I believe it would be safe to say that false faiths don't constitute devotion on a different path, but rebellion that rejects God's path. They exalt human ideas and human preferences over God's clear revelations. God has spoken, and he didn't stutter when he spoke. Something else we learn in this tragic account is that false religions always reflect their source, their point of origin. That's why Paul would later refer to false religions or compromised expressions of Christianity as doctrines of demons, rather than alternative paths to the same God. Satan is the universe's master counterfeiter. He imitates everything God says, everything God does, and everything God offers. And Satan is aware that effective counterfeits have to bear a striking resemblance to the genuine. A currency counterfeiter in the United States would not manufacture pink $20 bills. And that's why virtually all false religions have something in common, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now those without biblical discernment see those similarities as proof of the same source, that all these different religions have God as their source and God as their goal. But those with discernment, biblically informed discernment, understand that similarities between the gospel and false religion doesn't indicate or don't indicate a common origin. They indicate skilled counterfeiting. In addition to being a counterfeiter, Satan is also a murderer. In John 10, Jesus said Satan came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that explains why Cain's decision to embrace a self-centered, self-pleasing, counterfeit worship eventually led him to despise and murder his brother. He was unwittingly taking his cues from Satan, who had, at that point gained control. And Satan is a murderer. And besides that, Abel was a symbol of Of everything that Satan hates devotion that's why I earlier noted false religion and murder go hand in hand that's why throughout history Jesus followers have often been murdered it's also why the Jewish people have suffered murder generation after generation after generation their ties to God differ from our ties as the church, but Messiah came out of Israel. And Scripture is clear, Satan has always hated Israel. Satan will always seek to destroy anything and everything that has ties to God. Now all that to say this, attempts to placate the world's hostility towards the church of Jesus Christ generally constitute a colossal waste of time and a fool's errand. If we compromise with their deceptions, they will see our compromise as affirmation of their false belief and surrender to their superior understanding. Worse, if we allow ourselves to hurl virtue signaling accusations at other believers who are not as woke as we are, the world will hear the same thing. Affirmation of their condemnation and surrender to their superior understanding. Now, I've been pastoring 45 years. I'm not naive. I'm aware there are always things God's people can do better to please God. There are always things I can do better to please God. But I'm also aware there is nothing we can do that will ever gain the world's approval. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And nothing will ever end its hatred. Because Scripture is clear, the unconverted heart not only cannot understand the things of God, not only considers them foolish, but it is always at odds with God. It is at odds enmity, eternal opposition with God. That's why I like to say there is no place of spiritual neutrality. There is no spiritual Switzerland in the universe. It's why Jesus said, you're either for me or you are against me. He didn't say, or you're somewhere in the middle considering your options. Either for or, not neutral, for or actively against. Upon hearing the consequences of his sin, Cain despaired. He learned that the thing he preferred over obedience to God, worship his own way, by offering the fruit of the fields, he learned that that would be permanently unavailable to him. God said, the ground will never again yield its crops to you. Now, there was more than poetic irony in that. I believe it was deliberate messaging from God. I believe God was giving us the reminder that when we substitute anything for God, we effectively lose both God and the substitute. Because the substitute will never yield the harvest that we desire. The harvest of meaning, the harvest of purpose, the harvest of significance, the harvest of peace, the harvest of understanding. No substitute for God can yield what the soul hungers for. And that's the reality of every addiction. In the addiction realm, we talk about the law of diminishing return. Whatever you're addicted to, it will never yield to you the results you desire, even when you ratchet up your participation in it. That's the reality behind every addiction, and that's the reality of false religion. No matter how fervently you apply it, it never yields the fruit you desire, Which is why the many who are currently coming out of the Islamic world into following Jesus because of Jesus appearing to them and revealing himself to them in their dreams, they unilaterally share the same testimonies. I came out of my restlessness. My desire for satisfying answers. I came out of my darkness and I stepped into peace and joy and light. Well, Cain cried out to God, this punishment is more than I can bear. He knew he would be hidden both from God and from the ground. He knew he'd be a vagrant and a wanderer. And people would seek to kill him. And I find that last lament on his part rather ironic, considering he had just murdered his brother. You see, when people are caught up in sin, they tend to project onto others the sinful motives that they themselves feel. Which is why I've always been in agreement with The statement I heard years ago from a fellow who said, when people suggest that whoever is over them in the realm of politics or business or whatever is corrupt and is likely doing this and this and this and this, they're not giving you a glimpse into the hearts of those people. They're giving you a glimpse into their own hearts. They intuitively suspect that if they were in a position of power, that's what they would do. Well, in response to Cain's lament, God appointed a sign so no one would murder Cain. I was reminded this week that there are a host of good reasons why God doesn't place great emphasis upon signs, why he wants us to follow him based on his word rather than signs, why scripture says it's, evil and idolatrous people who seek signs. It's because we can attach whatever meaning serves our interests to the signs that God gives. And that happened in the case of the sign that God put upon Cain. Cain was given that sign so that nobody would murder him. It was given to protect his life. But centuries later, people in Europe and in the United States advanced the unbiblical lie that so- the sign of God on Cain was dark pigmentation, darker skin. And then they hideously parlayed that lie into a justification for the cancer of racism and the tyranny and the evil of slavery. And it was a prime example of willingly corrupted faith in service to hatred and greed. And what those folks failed to recognize was that the sign, whatever it was, and we don't know, The sign was designed for Cain's protection, not his persecution. If a sevenfold judgment, as God promised, would have been in play at the height of what we now know as the African slave trade, many Western nations, including our own, would have been obliterated from the face of the earth. Fact. So the fact that people put that evil spin on God's good preserving word, when he was being merciful to a man who had been merciless, the fact that people do that is a reminder that once sin masters you, it will never let God's word and truth get in its way. Or to put it more bluntly, as I often say to you, sin makes people stupid. The same sin that seduced Cain is still active today. That sin suggests Jesus was just a man, not God, and certainly not some Messiah. But God says Any spirit that denies the divinity and the messiahship of Jesus is the spirit of antichrist, opposition to God. Sin still suggests It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Just as all streams eventually flow to the same ocean, so all spiritualities eventually lead to God. But Scripture says there is a way that seems right, feels right to humanity, but it ends in destruction. Destruction. Sin continues to say, We all serve the same God and Father. But I would remind you, in speaking to some of the most devout religionists of his day, people who quoted the Old Testament, Jesus said, You serve your Father, the devil. And subsequently in the New Testament, The Apostle John said it's only those who call upon Jesus who then have the right to become the children of God. We are all God's creation, but we don't become God's children by walking in faiths that stand in opposition to God's Word. We become God's children by obeying the faith once delivered, through Christ and the writers of Scripture. From Genesis forward, Scripture is clear. Rebellion doesn't become faith simply because it acts like faith. So does the Bible answer the question, Are other alternative spiritualities acceptable? It does, with a resounding no. Does it answer the question that there's only, is there only one way? And it answers it with a resounding yes. And the foundation, the beginning, if you will, for all those subsequent answers is found in Genesis 4. When rebellion acts like faith, it doesn't become faith. It remains rebellion. I want to close in prayer, and then I'll be back with a closing invitation. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would grant anyone and everyone who may be listening to this broadcast Discernment. Discernment of what is true in the universe and discernment of what is false. Because where people invest their whole life in something false, the disappointment is eternal. When they invest it in that which is true, the reward is eternal. Your desire, my desire, is that everyone would discern the truth, walk in the truth, and find forgiveness, restoration, hope, and eternal life in the only place where it can be found, in Jesus. And Father, you've trusted that message to the church. I pray we would not be cowardly in carrying out our duty that we would be willing to be scorned, as your people have always been scorned, for the scandal of exclusivity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Help us to be that, because it's always been those who have offered the world an alternative, who have had the greatest impact upon that broken world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, just before I taped this message, the thought occurred to me that my salvation came about in a scenario that's very much reminiscent of the one in which you find yourself right now. Because even though I had been raised in the church, I was inside the church on average Five times a week. I didn't come to Jesus inside church walls. I was at home, by myself, on the living room sofa, watching black and white television, three channels, some of you (laughs) remember, and a Billy Graham crusade came on. I knew everything Billy was going to say because I had heard it a thousand times, and that's not hyperbole. But it was as if the Spirit of God held me in place on that sofa till the service concluded, and that night, by myself on that sofa, I gave my heart to Jesus and stepped out of the false and into the true. Perhaps as you've been watching on your sofa, or listening in your automobile, or wherever you're at, on the back porch, wherever, God has spoken to you. God's Spirit has held you in place. And you sense you need to call on Jesus because you've never done that before. Let me simply say, Scripture is clear. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are unhappy with your alternative, and if you now believe you need Jesus... That's indication the Spirit of God is chasing you. Don't run from your best friend in the universe. Where you're at, just simply express to God something along these lines. Lord, I realize I've been running from you. I now need to run to you. And I want to do that today, believing you died so that I can be forgiven. You were raised so that I could live. And today I take you as my Lord and Savior and commit my life to you. He'll hear that, he'll rush in, because God is not willing that any should perish. Do that. And if you've done that, please contact us to let us know so that we can send you some very helpful information. Until this pandemic is over, until we can hug and greet one another in the manner in which we're accustomed, may the Lord be with you, may the Lord keep you, and may God bless you.